Hidden in Plain Sight captures stories of the rainbow community in the Hepburn Shire. As well as the more well-known and recognised names, we also wanted to hear from everyday people. This includes those living, working, raising families and running businesses in the local community. Not everyone who identifies as belonging to the rainbow community is visible. Hidden in plain sight. Who are the people that you would want to interview? Who are the people off the top of your head? Max. Max. Yes. Max runs a radio program in Dalesford. Mm. Um, fabulous, fabulous guy. Yeah. I've known him for about 20 years. He is always the queen of Chill Out Parade. Yeah. He's, Max has got kidney issues mm. and he goes in for dialysis every, so his, his drag name is Dialysis. <laughs> Nothing like living your life. I know. I, and he's a beautiful human yeah. and he would absolutely love your concept. Yep, yeah. So he's there. Okay. Yeah, thank you for coming back. back. Thank you. So Mainly because we got so much Slacker. information from you last time and we weren't ready to finish your interview. <laughs> just, um, just ended at the wrong time. Well, there was just so, so much, much content that we, we knew that your story wasn't finished and we wanted to keep chatting. Previously, Max had told us about some of his health issues, which included receiving dialysis in Ballarat and eventually back in Dalesford. I asked him if he still needed this. No, 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 I got, a, I got a transplant in 2012. I oh. got the phone call at 5 to 2 in the morning. Yeah. The nurse said, oh, it's Royal Melbourne Hospital here and is that Max Primer and what's mm. your date of birth and blah, blah, blah. We'd like to offer you a kidney. I went, okay. So she said, get down here as quick as you can, but don't rush because we don't want you mm. killing yourself on the way down here, which wouldn't be a good look. Yeah, that's right, we're going to yeah. give to someone else. <laughs> and I had none left, well, so it didn't <laughs> So Gordon, once again, we'd already arranged oh, this, that if I got the call, he He'd would... jump into yeah. it. Yeah. So he, he, I rang my sister first to tell her, and then I rang Gordon. And so we'd arranged for me to go out to his place and leave my car at his place, and he'd drive me down. So Anyway, we left his place at half past three in the morning, drove to Melbourne, got there just after 7.30, and they started prepping me straight away for surgery. And so... All the bloods they take over that period of time you're on dialysis, they put them into the computer. So when the person is who's the organ donor, they take blood from them before they die, yeah. and then they put that into the computer and it matches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the computer could match up 10 people for that one kidney. So then it's doctors and nurses' choice to whom is yeah. that, which must be bloody awful yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. Mine matched up with me only, and it was a 90% match which is pretty bloody amazing. So I went into surgery at 8.30. I was back in recovery by 12.30. And it sometimes when they put an organ in your body, it'll, what they call, wake up straight away. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a little while for your body to get used to this. Yeah. So your kidneys are in your back, obviously. When they put your new kidney in, they put it in your stomach. Oh. So they put it down the bottom of your stomach near your groin and they join it to the main artery up your leg. So that's how it gets a blood supply. So the more walking and moving you're doing with your leg, the more blood's pumping through oh, the yeah. organ. Yeah. 
So it's really amazing. So yeah, so I woke up and I felt fine and then it took it took mine a little while to wake up, but then I had a few other issues with blood pressure and things like that. So I ended up staying in Royal Melbourne for two months, I think. Which wasn't a big deal. I mean, you know, I could get up every morning, I'd go for a walk, someone brings you a breakfast, lunch and dinner, you sit <laughs> there and bad. No, not too bad. You sit there and eat it and someone takes the dirty dishes away and takes them off. But the other funny thing was when I when I got up I rang my sister and told her and she said, Okay, and then I rang Gordon. And of course they tell you you must have a bag ready in case you get this phone call. Yeah. So yeah. And I didn't even think so no. then I'm chucking stuff in this bag and of course I put bag. jeans in with a belt. Which, of course, you can't wear no. after your transplant because mm-hmm. you, suddenly your kidney's in your stomach. So my sister had to go out and buy tracksuit pants Soft, for me. Soft, fleecy tracksuit yeah. pants. And I, ne- I don't own a pair. I never <laughs> had a pair. So anyway, I, I get in the shower. I do all that. And I put the kettle on, get in the shower, come out of the shower all dressed, go into the bedroom, make my bed, go out and have a cup of tea. And then, because we go to Melbourne, and I'd forgotten to grab a cup of things. So Gordon came back to Dalesford and then came back that night with extra things like my laptop and stuff like that. And he walked into the room and just happened to be the time he walked in when the nurses were there taking blood and everything. And he says, oh my God, you're an effing idiot. I said, what? And he said, you made your bloody bed. Here you are going down to Melbourne for a life-saving operation and you made your bed well. The nurses cracked up something probably. So then it became the weird the weird guy in bed 40 made his bed before he left home. I said, thank you very much. That's very charming of you. And so that kidney now? It's, well, it's kidney. coming up for 11 years. Wow. Which is just phenomenal. And it's still working perfectly, but... It's because I've done exactly what well, everybody's exactly. told so me to do. Told. Yeah. You do what you're told. It's hard because mm. you've got to change your complete diet. Yeah. You know, oh, be- before is, the yeah. kidney transplant, I was down to 50 mils of liquid a day. 50 mils is nothing. Yeah. But I found the way around that was to keep ice cubes in the fridge. And if you felt thirsty, an ice cube would yeah. quench your thirst. And you weren't having that much fluid. Because when, when you go on dialysis, they give you a dry weight, so they weigh you, and that's your dry weight. So whatever is over that, that's how much fluid they've got to take out of your body. So you just have to be really, really careful. The day after your transplant, they come in and say, you've got to drink a litre and a half of water huh? today. Oh, hello. Uh, yeah, I think I can manage that. But you're also a perfect recipient. Well, that's right. So whoever gave well, that kidney yeah. to you. Yeah, there's a story for that yeah, too. Yeah, I was waiting for this. The lady who I got the kidney from was a nurse and she was killed in a car accident on her way home from work. Mm. Some guy, some drunk guy came through an intersection and T-boned her car. She gave everything possible from her body, even skin. It was really amazing and every year they hold a remembrance service in Melbourne for people who've given kidneys and people who've received kidneys. And the first year after my transplant, I was asked to tell my story on stage. And they said, oh, there'll be a few people in the audience. And I knew there was like a thousand people sitting in this bloody crowd. And so the girl before I went on stage said to me, look over the people. So, you know, you're not looking at people, but that's not me. I've got to look at people's faces. So if I'm talking, I want to see their reactions. Anyway, I look up and there's a bloody mezzanine floor with more people sitting there. <laughs> That's going to really work. I'm looking up at the television. So I, I told my story and I got 
almost to the end and just lost it completely and had to walk off stage. So after it was all over, we sit, we're standing out the side and everybody's having a cup of tea and a gas bag and everything. And I felt a tap on my shoulder and turned around and there was a man standing there and he said, Hi. I said, Hi. You got your kidney in 2012? I said, Yes. At the Royal Melbourne Hospital, yes. Uh, March, early March, yes. Uh, that was my wife's kidney and just walked away. Then he just walked away. Yeah. And I'm just standing there thinking, what the hell was all that about? And I'm crying like a, you know, like a fool. Well, not like a fool. I was crying because like it was so being. emotional, like <laughs> a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And so he walked away. And when someone donates an organ, if they want to get in touch with their um, recipient, mm -hmm. which most people don't, they've got to send a letter to the hospital and the hospital then reads through it to make sure that there's no yeah. inequalities in it and stuff like that. So he sent a letter to the Royal Melbourne, they read through it and they rang me and said, we're sending you a letter. So he included his email address and his phone number and we kept in touch. And then he rang me one day and said, look, can you come to Melbourne on Tuesday next week? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, I'd like you to meet our three daughters. Oh God, so all the way down on the train, I'm crying already before I even got there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he so wanted... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I blame it on her because it was her kid. Oh. I've, I've got all these oh. feelings now, that's different. Oh, you were halfway <laughs> there. I was halfway there, that's <laughs> right, exactly. From the beginning. Um, so he wanted his daughters to see that their mother was still a giver, even after she was dead because she'd always been a nurse and she'd always been that. Yeah. So that was a very emotional lunch. And, and the gift they gave me is un unrepayable. Oh, Max. So it's been a, an amazing journey. Yeah. Something very close to my heart that mm. I really wanted to ask you about, and it might be a difficult question. Because I'm part of the gener generation that benefited so much from both of you in different decades, Rosie marching for decriminalisation, which I imagine you did as well, mm -hmm. but you also being such a big part of the 80s and I specifically am going to say that decade because that is where uh, our rainbow people were hit really, mm -hmm. really hard with another pandemic and that's what I will continue to call yeah. it because yeah. I do believe it's not acknowledged as a pandemic, no. but it was HIV. Yeah. So, and just to clarify, this is the 1980s, not the 1880s. Just to make sure. <laughs> just want to, just want to make that official. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely the yeah, 1980s. That's right. That'd be very historical. And I guess because I was born in 78, so mm. I was young enough to benefit. I guess I'm old enough now to start seeing the implications of what happened and to understand that we are missing a significant number of our elder men, which I acknowledge because we lost them in, in a time which was pretty gruesome and pretty difficult. And I also remember as a young child the horrific advertising campaigns that were around which were really fear-based and as a 44-year-old woman now that benefits from the hard work that everyone did, I would like to ask how you went in those times. All right. Well, because back in those days, we had a lot of dinner parties at people's houses and we did all that sort of thing. We went to gay nightclubs. There was a lot more gay nightclubs, I think, in Melbourne in those days than there is today. I think we really had the best of times with 
with nightclubs and spaces to go to. Although, having said that, they could have been raided at any time, like the Tasty Nightclub event, yeah. and all sorts of weird and wonderful things happened. We, Ken and I, had lots and lots of friends back in those days, as I still do today, and four of those friends were trolley dollies on Qantas. And so they, they travelled the world regularly, uh, and that's when we first found out about HIV and AIDS was these people coming back from trips to San Francisco or Los Angeles or wherever they flew yeah. and, and, you know, talking about this new disease that was supposedly only hitting gay men back in the yeah. day. That was the major, the major issue with it. So we heard about it then, and I guess we all thought about it but didn't think that much about it because it was in America, like it was so far away, and... Even though people travelled, there's not a lot of thought went into mm. the fact that it could hit us really badly, which of course it did. We soon found out that, you know, people travelling, uh, people mm. on, on planes that were trolley dollies obviously had sex while they were away. They met up with different people in nightclubs or saunas or gay bars or wherever it might be, and that led to sexual activity. And, of course, there was not much protection around. People didn't worry about protection in those yeah. days, which, if they had done, it might have helped a lot. Yeah. But it was a totally different wasn't time. Necessary. And that wasn't necessary. Wasn't we didn't think about it. it. No. Yeah, yeah. And mm. so that's, that's how we first heard about this insidious disease. My, my questions go, do you think that it was early days? I guess early days back then, early days for our people being out and proud mm. um, and being in numbers, um, big numbers, which made mm. people safe. But do you think had the pharmaceutical companies come on board, uh, like what has just happened in the last four years with COVID and worked really, really hard instead of stepping back mm. and almost, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, but almost letting it go. Yeah, that's right. Well, it was, it was, Pharmaceutical companies and governments. Governments didn't want to put any money into it, but then they came up with these hideous oh, campaigns on TV of Grim the Grim Reaper and stuff like that, which, which scared the heck out of people. Yeah. Uh, and also, at the very start, there wasn't... We didn't actually see what the disease could do because people got sick and, they, yeah. you know, it was like the flu and blah, blah, blah and all the rest of it. But then all of a sudden things started happening fairly, fairly quickly and Fairfield Hospital was opened as an AIDS hospital. Yeah. Uh, and that's when we sort of started to realise that things were really, really desperately bad. And once again, the governments and the pharmaceutical companies just sort of, oh, well, you know, it's only happening to gay men, so it doesn't really matter. It's not really important. Yeah. It's not, not that it important, was, that's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah Which okay. is so... I mean, so sad. <laughs> but then it's, it's almost so that, that... I think we're talking about the other way, is the best of times and the worst of that's times right. because... Out of that became the Victorian AIDS Council, and every state yeah. had their. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And doing it for yourselves, really, That's wasn't right. it? Yeah, exactly. You were That's nobody what it was. knew. Yeah. That yeah. Was. Well, one of the staff members here, who you know, was responsible for getting the beds to Fairfield. They yes. didn't have beds. Uh, whoever was A group involved, of people. whether yep. you knew about that, I don't know. Yeah. But yes. they actually fundraised to get beds right. for these yeah. guys that yeah. are dying hideous deaths. Oh, absolutely. Um, it was just shopping. No respect no. and no true love. No, or no, no. It was a death sentence. It was then, a death sentence, that's right. There was no yeah. drugs because, we, as we said, the pharmaceutical companies just stepped Not back. Interested. The government weren't prepared to put any money in. Of and of course, there was a group of lesbian women in Sydney 
who yeah. who helped start the whole thing rolling, the whole ball rolling. With care. With care and with looking after people with HIV and AIDS. And they, they you know, they just took it on themselves. They didn't think anything about it, but it was just someone needed help. So and we're in there to help. So let's just mm. get in and do it. And of course then the the real toll started with the, the way it attacked people's bodies. Yeah. Uh, and and like you said, there was no pharmaceuticals, there was no cure. It was just a death sentence. And of course, a lot of the people in those days got the news from their doctor that they had AIDS uh, and there was no hope of a yeah. cure. So a lot of people in those days um, were workers with the government, were workers in good jobs. So they had superannuation, they had money, they had savings. So of course, they went out and blew it all because they weren't going to live, so there was no future, so let's get rid of all our money. And then, of course, a lot of those people are still alive today, (laughs) and and now they're living on pensions because they got rid of all their money because no one one was prepared to help. Uh, And it did hideous things to their bodies, but they fought it through, you know, whether it was because of a positive attitude, whether it was because of the love of their friends and family around them. That was the other thing. A lot of families... Ostracised. Ostracised, yeah, yep. yep. a lot of the um, a lot of the people who contacted AIDS were there was quite a few transsexual people, and of course that was an absolutely disaster because you know no one wanted the no family wanted someone mm. else to know that their child was transsexual and you know and would, would not on top of that that's yeah. right yeah would not accept the new name person. so yeah, the new what? person was just ostracised and back to the original person so. There was a lot of death notices that never went in papers. There was a lot of death notices went in under the original name, birth name, mm. instead of the name that the person was living under at that stage. Mm. So it was all a hideous, hideous time. And I think I said in the first interview, you know, we, we went to 21 funerals mm. in a week, yeah. oh. which was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and all these people had died of AIDS and HIV. Uh, A lot of families didn't turn up at the funerals. There was no markings on the grave to say... Oh, you know, there was a marking on the grave to say so-and-so lies here, but no family recognition whatsoever because someone from the church could have gone down there and might know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was was really revolting. Really was revolting. And it was a hard time to live through. Yeah. 21 funerals in one week. In one week. I can't even fathom that, and mm. I live in a small community, and mm. God, I feel like sometimes we're always going to the funeral. That's right, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. And I guess that just amplifies how small our community was, and and how supportive our community was for each other. Yeah. But also, in a time where education wasn't given to us about That's this right. disease, yeah. the fear would have also been running through oh, us. Rampant. I suppose yeah. it was also the aspect that. A little bit like the early days of COVID, mm. yeah. you didn't know. Yeah. That's right. And often the, the information, if you did get it, was wrong. Was wrong. That's yes. right. Exactly. And, there, and yeah. there was a lot of misinformation Mission. out there. Yeah. And a lot of people, once they were told, this is what you've got. And of course, because before they before they found out that they were HIV positive, yeah. they'd read stories yeah. from America and from other places that this is what it does to you. And all of a sudden, the doctor's saying, well, this is what, you you know, got, this is what yeah. you've got. Yeah. And immediately, your mind would start thinking, oh, my heavens above, I, this is what's going to happen. And of course, a lot of people did give up because, yeah. of, you know, they thought, well, there's no point. Yeah. 
it, and it when, without the support of family yeah. and friends scared that just by touching skin well, that, that was the other thing yeah. like that, the misinformation was yeah. so don't drink out of that glass that yeah. someone else has drunk out of don't touch that plate that someone else has eaten their food off which of course is all absolute crap as we found out later on but the governments and the, the pharmaceutical companies weren't willing to come forward and tell us the truth. Yeah. And look, we obviously we had lots of friends who were who were getting this bad news and this disastrous news, and of course there was no drugs to help them, so they had to rely on a lot of natural therapies. So a lot of people went on different diets and they ate different foods and they tried different herbs and stuff like that. And some of them, I think... It comes back to having a positive attitude with whatever you whatever you manage and however you manage your illness. We, I was I was a I, I still am a clean freak, so you know I vacuum the house every, every yeah. second day and do all that sort of thing. But I was <laughs> I know I'm weird, yeah. <laughs> and also love ironing, which is another weird oh, thing. Oh no, that's, that's still getting <laughs> over that way. <laughs> and so we we. You know, rallied round. Um, mm. My partner then was Ken, and he was a, an amazing cook. Mm. So he used to cook a lot of meals, and we used to mm. take them round to people. We used to have people over to our house and have dinner parties and things like that. And all our friends knew. But once again, it was the stigma you had to fight your way through because no matter when you start reading stuff or you're hearing stuff on the television or the radio, it does stick in your mind. Yeah. And, you've been and you do have right. certain mm. preconceptions. Mm. But then all of a sudden you think, well, what am I worried about? We're not actually doing anything. We're just having a dinner, dinner. together. Yeah. We're but eating. And even the stigma comes on cutlery. I know, that's right, what, exactly. What it I remember went through. Yeah, the early yeah. days of COVID. Yeah. Was, yeah. Well, that's right, yeah. 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 And, and I remember friends, you know, that they would have someone over for dinner who they knew was HIV positive. Mm. And they would have special plates and knives and oh, forks. No. You know? It's like, really, hang on, you're, you're in the LGBTQI community. You know what these people are going through. Yeah, and Why we... do you have to re-stigmatise everything? Yeah. Just, you know, just accept these people into your home yeah. and, and care for them. That's all you've got I'm, to I'm do. I'm trying to remember, because I was a carer for a mm, while. Right. The, the AIDS Council. But I came over from New Zealand in... Me. Yeah, 89. Yeah. Mm. And, and because it had been round for a few years by then, I can't remember some of that aspect of it, but yeah. I do remember the stigma yeah. and the people that, you know, in the office at work who had it, and it's like, mm, That's right. you know, the attitudes were yeah. Really terrible. bizarre, isn't yeah. it? Oh, right. It actually hurts. Like, it I, does. It hurts yeah. to think yeah. about it. I can't fathom it. Um, no. I just, I remember I was telling Rosie, it was when I watched It's a Sin. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, that was oh such an amazing my movie. Yeah, god. Yeah. Um, when I got to the last episode, I picked up the phone and I just rang my brother. Mm. And I went, What did you go through? And I was so grateful to hear. He said, No, not me. But he was at Tasty Nightclub. Oh, okay, when okay. it was raided. Yeah, yeah. And he worked yeah. there. Oh, was he? Oh. Yes. But his shift had finished and he'd knocked off two hours earlier. So he wasn't in the raid, but right. all his mates were, all yeah, his colleagues. Um, so you, you know, but I rang him to go, Jesus, bro, like, mm. what did you lose people? And he said, No, I didn't. Okay, but I yeah. lot my friends lost mm. people because um, he didn't come from an overly supportive family when he right. 
things were different when I came along. Younger sister's always in. So my brother tells me. No, we says to me, you got it so lucky. And I know I did. Mm-hmm. I know I did. And I'm forever grateful. And we're, we're really close because of that. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was a, a, an awful, awful time. But we managed to get through it, I think, you know, with, with love and support mm-hmm. and lots and lots of friends around. And we... I guess we understood it in a different way. We didn't take much notice of the adverts on TV, although they were there. Of oh, course, they, they, they were stuck there. in your psyche. Yeah, but I was about we, five and yeah, I remember them. We looked yeah. at things in a different way because we were so close as friends, and we were we were family. Yeah, you looked out. Yeah, there was no yeah. there was no blood, but mm. we were family definitely. Yeah. So we did take care of each other, and we also helped our friends out. And that's a legacy that still stands. Oh, absolutely. Uh, all of us now, we've got our rainbow family at that. Yeah. We stick together. Stick together, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. safety in numbers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's that, that community, isn't it? Yeah. That, it is. And the good times and, and the bad times. Yeah. And, they yeah. were, and that was the community yeah. that we have and still have. Yeah. 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 And gee, we're a threat. Oh, absolutely. Such a scary threat. I know, so much pink glitter they can't cope. (laughs) Pink feathers and pink glitter. It wasn't just your flamboyant. No, 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 it wasn't. It was was people who never came out, who never admitted to who they were or what their lifestyle was until they actually caught this horrible virus. They got outed by through no fault of their own. Looked after a guy for a long time, and he was in Fairfield. Right. And he probably would have fitted into that. Mm. And it was only when he got AIDS. His mother actually was very good. We used right. to see her a lot, but we used to take him out the weekend, so we had a whole team um, so he could come home for the weekend. Yes. And it was for several months. But I often thought, you know, that was, in some bizarre way, it was probably some of the best times of his life because he had a, f- he had a rainbow a family, family that's right. all yeah. about him, looking after him, yeah. taking places and doing things. Yeah. But he'd had an isolated life before that. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden there was all these friends there. There yeah. was people to yeah, help him, to talk to him. There was a, twins and and a day and there was right. a Rostos. Yeah. 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 And, and that, just to watch t- hang out and watch TV with them. And right. yeah. That sort of yeah. stuff. And that would, that would have been just so exciting. It wouldn't have mattered what was on TV. The fact that, that he was there yeah. with, with someone from his out. own family, yeah. not blood family, yeah. but chosen family yeah. Yeah. didn't have to explain anything no, or anything didn't have to talk about anything yeah. or anything like yeah. that just you're just yeah. there you know we, we did this for months it was quite a fixed group so it was yeah it was our little family exactly. john's family family <laughs> and, you, and you you enjoyed it you yeah, had fun kept, together yeah. and you gave that particular person a good some excitement in yeah. their life and some happiness yeah. before they died yeah. to a purpose that's right just exactly. exist. no no yeah. And something for them to look forward to, and that's yeah. the most important thing. You know, you're stuck in hospital well, and you don't know what's for. going to happen. No. You don't know how far the disease has got, and all of a sudden it's wham, whammies you. Mm. But you know that at the weekend you're going to go somewhere, you're going to see mm. people. Have company. Have yeah. company, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. It was, wasn't good, and, and like you said, Mel, the, the stigma is just still there. Yeah, you know, it's still well, going on today. Yeah. It's just revolting in, in 2022, and we've still got this crap going on. Our blood is just as good as anyone else's, mm-hmm. you know. But we're still not allowed to give it. Um, that's shifted now, I think. Yeah, I hope so, yes. I have a feeling that has changed. No, it might have done. Do a bit of a Google on that. I'm absolutely wrong. Are you? 
LGBTQ, this is the Guardian, groups say that rules are outdated and stigmatising, mm. but Red Cross Lifeblood remains cautious on relaxing its policy. So it hasn't relaxed it, but the questions are there. And I think if you answer the questions accurately, Maybe, um, yeah, yeah. But they don't have any issues with lesbians, but most lesbians are tattooed now, so they've got issues with tattoos. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Which makes me laugh. Oh, um, it's just amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that, not most lesbians. A lot. Tattoos, but a lot. But a lot. I'm not, yeah, I'm a lot of I feel I'm in the minority sometimes. A lot, a lot of baristas. Have you haven't got a tattoo? I haven't got a tattoo. Oh, quick, oh, Mel, get that, get that pen I'm and ink out. Let's go. <laughs> We'll draw one yeah, immediately. We'll draw one. Hang on, I'll sketch it out now. Um, oh my God, Max, thank you so much for sharing. Um, That's all right. I'm happy to share these. And this is what we said at the last interview we did. The more this gets out there, the better help it is, hopefully, for people. Mm. We just we just need more people to talk about it. The conversations. That's have, right. Exactly. That all of a sudden aren't that scary. And I think you're right, the conversations people tend mm. not to have, because our socialising has changed. You talked a lot about dinner parties. And, yeah, that's right. And we tend not to do that anymore. No, no, no. And we used to do progressive dinner parties. Well, COVID killed the dinner party. Yeah, well, oh, true. Oh, yeah. yeah. COVID yeah. killed everything. Where you, yeah. you'd, you'd go and have entree at one person's house and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, of course, we were all drunk as skunks probably by the end of it, and we still drove it. <laughs> it was just amazing. But that was, that was the thing, and we had a group of people, and we used to meet once a week. Same or sometimes people, more, because yeah. Yeah. like I said, Ken was an amazing cook, and he mm. would he would cook for thirty people without even thinking about it, and I'd be just going, yeah, right, okay. Yeah, and then you'd all just sit. Yeah, I loved it because so the food sure was way. exquisite. Yeah, <laughs> and I loved my food, so yeah, it was pretty amazing. Mm. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people did suffer in silence, and a lot of people didn't have that contact. That was mm. the hard part. If they'd already been in a situation where they were kicked out of a family mm. then they were living a very solitary life and a lot of people it's also jobs too wasn't yeah, it yeah 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 well you couldn't you couldn't yeah. say that and so many jobs back in those days were government oriented yeah so you had to be really really careful mm. you couldn't speak out you couldn't do anything at work so you were really really sort of shy and a lot of people didn't like to come out you know they didn't want to admit to anybody else who they were because of Inner, inner homophobia, in, internal yeah. homophobia, which so many people have. You know, if I say something now, then someone's going to pick on me and yeah. someone's going to bash me and someone's going to yeah. do this. And nine times out of ten, that's not the case at all. Mm. And that was another yeah. big thing, wasn't it? That, um, you know, you had all that. Yeah. But it was still still a lot of stigma attached to being L anyone in the LGBTQI community. Yeah, see, I... Because I, gay men were sort of outlawed, but women weren't, all yeah, thanks to Queen Victoria. Women couldn't possibly do anything like that with each other. What are you talking about? <laughs> they haven't got the equipment to do anything like that. Oh, duh. <laughs> um, but I, I guess that we're, we laugh at that, but I'm... Oh, that's I'm a beneficiary mm. of mm. you guys marching yeah, for a bigger yeah. and more controversial things that right, I didn't yeah. have to worry about because you did the work. Yeah. And um, I think I said in the first interview that I've never been bashed either. Yeah. I've been very, yeah. very fortunate. Mm. But I think I put it down to the fact that I'm willing to tell people, mm. if you don't like me, tough titties, I couldn't care less. Yeah, I'm, I'm me, I'm gay, and that's it. So yeah. you can either like me or you don't. I've got enough people who like me not to have to worry mm. if you decide to go and not like me. I couldn't care less. And that, do you, do you think 
that stems from the love of your family. I think it and does, yeah. And being accepted, that's right. Not needing a non-blood family. That's right. Blood family. Exactly. Have a blood family mm -hmm. who've I always. Bet you your family was supportive of everyone you brought in. They were well. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So that, and that's that's the whole thing. You've got to have that to start off with. Yeah. And then I think you get through life a lot easier. Well, I don't know whether that's the case. I did, but I think because I'm open about who I am and what I do, yeah. um, I don't really care. So it's a, it's a really interesting whole scenario, whole interesting lifestyle. Um, some people still haven't come out. I know lots of people who don't want anybody to know. Yes, funny. We were talking, it's interesting, we were talking before because we used to live somewhere else in central Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was so much more conservative. We were talking about trans people before. Yes. And if there was anyone, you might see them once or twice, but you never saw them again. No, that's right. It was yeah. so uncomfortable, so... Yeah. And yeah. whereas here, it's like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, well, we know a few people, Mel. Loads. Yeah. And they're yeah, part of the community. They're just right. massive contributors oh, to the hospitality of our community. And that's yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. If people would stop and look and listen and learn... Learn then the name it and wouldn't be. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I and was... it, it's you know it's a bit like the pronouns of today. Okay, you don't know someone's pronoun, just call them Use by their, their name. name. It's, it's not that hard. It's, it's actually the easier. same thing. I yeah. even saw. I was talking to Rosie just before, and I saw this really funny cartoon, and I laughed out loud. And it was a guy in a wheelchair, and. They're saying, oh, what is it we're called? Uh, do we use the word disabled? Do we, or, oh, yeah. And he said, my name's Joe. That's right. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just call me Joe. Yeah. Just <laughs> call me Joe. It doesn't matter. That we can use as well, for goodness oh, sake. Oh, that's right. I know. But everybody's hung up on doing the right thing and saying the right thing, and it's people who have names. Yeah. I think sometimes it makes it harder when you're trying to... Well, yeah, we're, we're in that and we're politically correct. correct. It actually gets really, really difficult because <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> exactly. it depends where the other person yeah. is and, and where you are. And well, then that's right. So, exactly. Yeah. And when did you get involved with the radio? You're... Well, the radio started in Bendigo and what's 15 years ago? 10 years ago, it Look at all of us. Did you edit that pause out? <laughs> 2007. Yeah, 2007, that's right. And there was two guys doing a radio show in Bendigo on a community radio station. And they got in touch with Chill Out and said, wouldn't anybody like to come and talk about Chill Out on the radio? And of course, everybody's going, oh, no, no, I couldn't. I'd be too embarrassed. Oh, no, I couldn't do that. Yeah. Like, it's radio. No one knows you. No, no one can see, see you, you, for heaven's sake. So I went across to Bendigo and I did that twice. And they just that. kept asking me back. Yeah. So eventually I ended up taking over the show from Bendigo. So it was called Rainbow Radio. And originally it was started at 3CR, 3CR in... Anyway, it was started by two lesbian ladies. And in those days it was called the Faggots and Dyke Show. <laughs> Stay like it is, really, hey? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But in those days, the studio was like a downstairs part, but the, the studio was upstairs. So there was two microphones and a desk and two turntables. So when they wanted new music, they had to run downstairs and get a record and the thing and take it upstairs. Put on the turntables. Yeah, so these two women ran it for many, many years. Um, and so they ran it for a lot of years. So it actually started... 
1985 or something. So, and it's still going. So now I'm I don't go to Bendigo anymore, yeah. but I'm actually doing it from the local radio station in Darsford, and yeah, I record it, yeah. and then I send it over to them, and they slot it into the program. So yeah. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. So what station is it on in Bendigo? So it's called Phoenix FM. Oh, okay, yep. So it used to be part of a different group, and then there was members of both sides of the radio station who had a falling out. So there was a group that decided to start this new one called Phoenix FM, which is, you know, rising from the ashes and yeah. all the rest of that. So I was part of the first broadcast from Phoenix FM, and I still go over there and do outside broadcasts yeah. with them because they're such a great bunch of people. And outside broadcasts are just heaven because yeah. you're out in the, in the middle of, you know, we did the Molden Folk Festival. Uh-huh. So you just sit there yeah. in this little van we've got and you get people to come and talk, talk to you. To. Yeah, it's fantastic. I just love it. Yeah. And you were saying before when we were talking that the, the Hepburn Community radio, radio you, yeah. You do breakfast radio. T- 2015, we had a. Uh, a community gathering at the skate park and one of the ladies that was there said I think we should have a radio station in Dust and I said I'll oh, be well, on board with that so we started in 2015 and there was three of us and is that Manny now it was Pat Harrison myself Trevor and Ian I've forgotten surnames but anyway there was four of us yeah who decided we started so we did a little bit of fundraising we got some equipment together and the neighbourhood centre gave us a space at a very reasonable rent. So we went to air on the 11th of December 2015. That was our That's first time here. Yeah. Because we all just wanted to be part of it. We just, you know, we just needed to do it. So yeah, it's really good. <laughs> now, I, I had a, another topic I was yes. going to, if you're happy to. We like topics. Yes. So, You've had a drag persona. Yes, yes, I have. And you've been, you know, for um, many years. Auntie Di. Auntie Di, I like that. Um, Very comfy, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what's the, um, for someone who doesn't do drag, what's the attraction or what's the, because it's, I guess in many years past, you know, drag and trans and gen- mm, gender, mm. it was all sort of not really distinguished all, all from an outside viewpoint. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Viewpoint. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's quite different. It is quite different now, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what attracts you to do Why do you enjoy, I'm assuming you It's different you from men to women because technically I'm a drag oh, well, all, yeah. as well. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah. So it's totally different. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess it's the fact of putting on a different face, you know, mm. just being a different person for that time that you're whether you're on stage or whether you like, yeah. I do story, rainbow story time at the library for chill out every year. I think I've seen a story time every <laughs> and year, and that is so amazing because the kids, Our kids don't laugh. give a rat's ass what? who's reading them a story as long as someone is. Story. Yeah. yeah, but of course you're sitting there with you know diamante rings on and a big wig and yeah. flashy earrings and high heel shoes, and the kids are. You know, and that's more the boys than the girls. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Do you know, Max, I burst into tears at the last story time because when I walked in, I got really emotional because I walked in and not only were, were you sitting there and you straight up clocked me, greeted me, yeah. and it was a really special moment. But Dean, I went to high school and uni with. So Dean, Frock Hudson. Yeah, yeah. Um, we went to uni together. We were dance drama students. Right, right. And he was at the boys' school. Oh, okay. And I was at the girls' school yep. when we were in high school. 
And we were all in the same high school musicals together. Right, so okay. Dean and I have known one another since we were about 14. But I, standing there amongst all these kids in all their fairy costumes, all the oh, boys yeah, were fairies, all the girls were Bob the Builder, yeah. whatever was going on, you looked around, you had trans parents, you had lesbian parents, mm -hmm. you had gay parents, you had straight parents. The kids had no idea, and then you had Claire sitting there interpreting in Auslan, right. and I, I just got yeah. really overwhelmed yeah. and it really was, emotional it really is how far we'd come. That's right. And I had to leave. I walked out, and God, bloody Channel 9 News camera. <laughs> As I walk out the door, waving my eye, and I said, "Please don't film this, please." Don't film We're just testing. I'm like, I just need a moment. For that. Then I had to walk back in because I. It was just yeah, this moment. It was amazing. I haven't been through a lot of the adversity you guys have been no, through, and no. a lot of the difficulty, but I'm part of it. Yeah, and that's I'm right. I'm still exactly. a big part of yeah, it, and it yeah. was so special. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, thank you that's because right. for I'm, me, I'm glad was, I could be. Put my big girl pants on. Because I'm not going to Yeah, so I think it's it's that just being a different person. Because once you put all that makeup on, and you've got an outfit on, then you become a different person. And it's for a lot of drag queens, it's a lot easier because they drink, whereas I don't drink at all. So it makes it. So you know, obviously, when You're you not drink, vulgar. no, when you drink, your personality changes. Yes. Yeah. Whereas I'm just me, uh, yeah. you know, like I just talk in my normal voice. I don't try and be anybody else. It's just a bloke in a frock. Right. <laughs> That's all of it, you know. Um, going back, when I first started doing drag was, we went to the gay disco that I used to go to in Fitzroy Street at Pokies. And oh, we yes. went there one New Year's Eve in drag. And that was our first time there. So yep. we turned up and we... Was this you had, and Ken? Or no, no, me friend. and another friend, yeah. Rodney. And he'd made us outfits to wear that night, and they were both crinolines with hoop skirts on the <laughs> We looked like a couple of, you know, Showing it real Nancy's years. <laughs> and so we, we went to this nightclub and we did all that, and halfway through the night there was this group of boys appeared, men, mm -hmm. and they were the Carlton football team who were out for a night out. Anyway, we... We were doing our thing and we were wandering around and it was pretty hard so you had to sort of lift your skirt up and tip it sideways to get through crowds and flatten and so, yeah, flatten it out. Yeah. Anyway, we got invited back to the Carlton Football Club rooms mm -hmm. after we left this disco. So we got to Rodney's car and we oh, took goodness. our crinolines off and put so them in the boots <laughs> so we could get in the car and it was sitting up in your face. <laughs> and we went to Carlton and we danced with these guys, the Carlton Football Club. I love that outcome. It was absolutely amazing. I know. We were both looking at each yeah. other going, oh my God, what's going to happen now? You yourself into yeah. a mind. And we, we went to this night, this Carlton Football Club club rooms where there was a dance, obviously, because yeah. it was New Year's Eve. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that was a really interesting night. And look, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. When I worked at the nightclub, so I was a dresser back, you know, yeah. backstage, got the girls ready. And the compere a couple of times was ill, so I took over his role. Oh, so okay. I performed in front of a thousand people. As well, so which was terribly, terribly exciting. Yeah, I was going to say you would have loved it. But of course, when when you walk on stage, you've got spotlights, so you can't actually see the audience yeah. except for very few at the front of the yeah. stage. So you just you know you perform to them and you can't see the rest of the crowd. But it was it was absolutely awesome. Yeah. 
one night they decided to have this special show called Search for a Tragedy. So well, the, the lady, the lesbian who was in charge was Jan Hillier. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. Or Jack Hillier. Jack, as she used to be called. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Hillier. So she decided to search for a tragedy. So we as staff have to perform a number on stage. A tragic number. Yeah, a tragic number. And I did Dame Edna's, a Dame Edna song, complete with purple wig and gladioli. <laughs> and I danced around the stage and I won $100. So I was absolutely <laughs> wrapped that I won. But that was the start of it all. But <coughs> performance on stage, it was usually whatever the main lead actor or the lead person, which was Doug Lucas. So it was whatever number he did in the show. Yeah. And that's how I did it. But I did do a few other numbers after that. I am what I am. Yeah. You brought up a really interesting point there, Dame Edna. Yeah. So Dame Edna, a straight man. Yep. In, in a frog. drag. Yep. Is one of our most famous performers hmm. over here in Australia. That stigma doesn't go onto Barry Humphreys. No, not at all. So I would have liked to have thought Barry Humphreys would have been a massive supporter yeah. of the women in drag. But I don't but know he wasn't. that he no, is. No, and he doesn't yeah. he doesn't particularly like trans people either. Which, and he did come out and say that in one of his oh, interviews, oh, oh. which was just horrific. Mm. Uh, and yeah, and look, I think. Where do you get off? Yeah, I know. Where do you yeah. like? It just doesn't make sense. But I think to the, me. the thing with that is that everybody knew he was straight, mm. so therefore doing drag was a funny thing. And not a, but a gay person doing it was like, oh, you just want to be a woman. Mm. You know, there was mm. that that really weird stigma that people have mm. in their minds. But it's so funny because it's not even that anymore. No, I mean, no. look at Courtney act mm. and Shane. I'm not sure what the surname is, um, which is important because Shane gets interviewed as Shane and Courtney Act is just a character. Mm. That, yeah. uh, Shane doesn't want to be a woman. That's right, Shane exactly. Shane is happy being Shane yeah. as a, yeah. a guy that happens to be M. Mm. But Gilberto. totally... Shane Gilberto. Totally happy mm. to be... Yeah. And, and that's the bit that I... Yeah. And I see, I never want to be a woman. I never wanted to be a woman either. Yeah. To me, it was just a fun thing for, and like I said, I'm a bloke in a frock. See, I never wanted to be a man. No, either, but you do I'm it. You do identified. it for a bit of thrill yeah. and a bit of fun and a and bit of something different. Theatre. Mm. Theatre. I mean, that's you right. look at where you start off in the Roman or the Greek, oh. the round. Every oh. every single character was played that's by right. men. Exactly. Women, yeah. Old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at you know, look at Monty Python. As John Cleese said in that interview, we could never write roles for women. We could only write roles for men dressed as women. Mm. You know, and you look at all the original Monty Python stuff, and it's all the blokes dressed up, mm. like the, you know the two old girls chatting in the back, in the back of their houses with their hair and curlers and the cigarettes out yeah. there. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conclusion. Yeah. You know, all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. that, that's the sort of funny stuff mm. it was, because it was theatre. Which obviously then goes to the high um, numbers of suicide oh, yeah. amongst our community. Mm. Mm. Which um, is re really another sadness that we've got to try and overcome as well. Yeah. You know, people are loved and your life is perfect and you've, you, you've got your own life to live and you should be allowed to live it and there should be no qualms about who you are and what you do. It's nothing to anybody else. If you live next door to someone, you're not hurting their lives. Mm -hmm. 
And that's exactly what this podcast is about. Mm. It's about getting that story out so that whoever might be sitting at home scared or not sure of who they are or how comfortable they can be could listen to this and go, oh, my gosh. I can be. You can have a lot. There's so much support out there and they might just be able to tap in Mm. to your radio station and say, hey, help. Of course. And and that's what I don't know whether I said it in the first interview, but... I'm willing to help anybody. I'm willing mm. to talk to anybody. I'm, anybody can call me or talk to me anytime at all. And I'm happy to pass on my knowledge. Yeah. Because it's a lot of important knowledge mm. from the days sure when we were is. totally illegal. And that's mm. the beauty of who mm. you are. Maybe then and and quite often it's not, it's not yeah. someone wanting to talk about their sexuality or how they're feeling someone about that. It's to. just someone to talk to full mm. stop. Yeah. Someone who's maybe older than you, someone who's been through a bit more, someone who's got a bit more common sense. Because all teenagers go through that. Mm. And, and you haven't got a lot of street sense, you haven't got a lot of your own sense by that age because you're still on. struggling mm. to fall back on. So, yeah. And you're generationally different. From oh, your absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that cuts that off. And intersectionality is really, really important between young people and older people. Mm. To, to have this sort of thing. And it's not about anything else but someone to chat to, mm. someone to talk to, someone to ask questions of yeah. and give advice, you know. And, 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 okay, it might not be the exact advice you're that person's searching for, but it's someone who's giving you some advice mm. without judging who you are yeah. and not saying, well, you shouldn't be going down that road. Give and and, and the other Just thing is, you know, when you're talking to someone like that that's going through difficulties, mm. whether they be a teenager or an older person who hasn't come out, because of whatever reason, then you've just got to be the listener. Mm. Yeah. And that's the best part. You just mm. sit there and listen to what they've got to say. And then when they ask you, what do you think? Well, then you can go into your spiel. But I think you've just got to be the listener. Just let someone yeah. speak. And, and quite often that can be the only thing they need, mm. is that someone's actually listened to their story. Someone's listened to what they've got to say. And all of a sudden, oh, hang on, I am, I am a bit better than I thought. I am a little bit more important than I thought I was. Yeah. And maybe that'll help my internalised homophobia, whatever it might be, or transphobia, or wherever you're yeah, going with it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's all very interesting, and there's a lot, lot of, a lot of different things can be said and done, but I think listening is the most important thing. Yeah. It's so simple, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And don't interrupt the person. Just let them go their own story. And if it takes 10 minutes, it takes 10 minutes. If it takes an hour, it takes an hour. And I'm quite happy to be part of that. Yeah. Sit over a cup of coffee and talk about it. That's exactly how lucky we are to have Max <laughs> as, as our first beautiful interview here is, is the world of information. Made our life very easy, isn't it, Mel? Yeah. <laughs> You've given us a lot of information, but also education to go into the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. Looking forward, now if... Mm. if Wealth of experience, yeah. <laughs> lots of stories. What do you hope for? What do you see as the future of the rainbow for the rainbow community? Well, I think acceptance is the main thing I hope for and wish for, and that we become part of our community, whatever that wherever community we are, and people just don't judge. We just become part of the whole community, and we're just people. It doesn't matter what sex you are or what you're doing behind closed doors. It's got nothing to do with anybody else. We just need to become one with everybody. We, of course, we need to stand alone because we are different. Yeah. We're not the same mm. as whatever normal society is, heterosexual society. Mm. And in, in that heteronormative society, they never have to ask for a thing. Mm. 
Everything's been handed to them from the time they're born. Don't have to ask to be married, don't have to ask to have children, don't have to ask to have a different job, whatever. Whereas we still have those things happening. We still have those experiences and hurdles to jump. So my hope is that we get accepted for who we are, not what we are, and we can we can continue to support society and we can give stuff to society. We can help people. And it doesn't matter. Just help people. That's what we need to do. That's all we need to do. Just be friends with each other and just help each other whenever we can. And that's it. Yeah. I hope for that too, Max. Yeah, it'd be really great. Yeah. yeah. And look, it's not going to happen in my lifetime, I know that. Yeah, but you've been but, a massive but I could be I could be 160 <laughs> no. if it happened. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to laugh Can you imagine that? No. Can you imagine that? you imagine that? 160, my God. Still driving. <laughs> Getting out of the car and putting gloves on to chop a tree branch yeah, off. Yeah, well, the world... you don't want to break a nail. That's <laughs> right. Some things you don't want to change. I know you just don't want to change. That. The world would be a wonderful place if we still had you in it at 160. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for being our first. Um, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Gift. Absolutely. Thank you, ladies. The conversation. So thoroughly it's been enjoyed wonderful. this. Yes. Not only have you given us a whirlwind of information, <laughs> but uh, insight um, to actually move forward with, yes. with our next interview. Well, that's right. yeah. So yeah. thank you. Sorry. Yes, it's, all right. it's all there for you to use, and if you want to use any of it to help anybody else, by all means. It's already been done. But on your Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, so Thanks Max. Nice to meet you too. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Yeah. Yes, and Mel, thank, thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you by us, Rosie Hill and Mel Thomas. It is produced in the Hepburn Shire, Jajawarong country, soon to be the land of the big rainbow. We thank you, our listeners, for listening. We would especially like to thank our guests who have agreed to be interviewed. It isn't something we take for granted, and we deeply appreciate their trust in us and bringing their story to you. We hope our conversations have inspired you but if it has also raised uncomfortable feelings or recalled difficult events in your own life, please reach out for support. Some ways available for help are Gay and Lesbian Switchboard, Rainbow Door, 1-800-729-367. Also, SMS and email support are available. Lifeline, 131114. And Beyond Blue, 1300 224 636.